Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Except, wait a minute. Dylan, we have a guest today, J.D. Hall. J.D., welcome to the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with my brother, man. Of course, of course. And Dylan, you know, in the tradition of throwing you curveballs when you expect fastballs, is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? Bro, how is it even a conversation? Like, he's top 10 in almost every passing metric out there. I don't care if he hasn't won a Super Bowl. And someone earlier on ESPN was saying how he ranks above Marino in a lot of these categories. And it's like, I know he played longer, but I don't see how it's even a debate. I just really don't. So, so okay, where would you draw the line for quarterback, like, in this era, right? Like, Breeze is obviously a Hall of Famer. Right. Um, is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer? We'll see – I think him and Matt Ryan are interesting because they like, they still have, you know, six, seven years probably. And they very well, like if Matt Stafford gets traded to the Colts or the bears or like a team like that, that has like a good supporting cast, but like needs a quarterback or Washington and like wins the Super Bowl or at least makes it that changes everything. So for, for guys like that, it's tough to answer right now, but like, just off the top of my head, I think the line would probably be someone like Eli Manning. And, like, I don't know whether I'd give it to him or not because, I mean, those two Super Bowls, like, he – I don't – those teams were not built, like, around Eli, but he complimented what they had going on so well that I think you probably give him the nod because he made huge plays in both those Super Bowls. And like, I mean, Mario Manningham's at- or whoever the dude's helmet was. Yeah, David Tyree. David Tyree, that's who it was. Yeah. And like and Eli he spun out of a sack to make that throw. So it was it was just a great play all around. But I think that's the line because Eli, if if you take even just one of those Super Bowls away, it's like, okay, he's probably Joe Flacco, you know, like he's not he's not a Hall of Famer. He had a really nice career. But the second Super Bowl I think puts him over the top and like that's probably where I draw the line. And Rivers is definitely better than Eli, so. <laughs> J.D., is this how you expected us to kick off the basketball podcast? No, but I like it. <laughs> you got you to gotta keep them guessing, J.D. You know, you can't just throw fastballs every time you're, you're pitching. Nah, if that was the case, I would have made it to Major League Baseball by the time I was 13. <laughs> you could not have hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball when you were 13, J.D. Hey, I'm telling you. <laughs> You should have seen me out there marvel my coaches. My coach was my coach was a uh baseball player throughout uh his college years. I was smoking his balls, sending them fly. He said, you know what? You keep at it, you're gonna have a bright future in this game. Oh, oh, it would be <laughs> It would be so nice to know a Major League Baseball player. But alas, 
we're not here for Major League Baseball or for NFL, although this, these, those are great detours by myself. You know, I'm such a great driver. I make sure we stay on the road at all times. Um, but we are obviously here to talk about the NBA. And before we get into our teams for the week, which are the Hawks, the Spurs, and the Knicks, we should probably talk about what's going on in Portland. Yes, if you wanted like to hear our opinions on COVID, we gave those on the last podcast, and I don't think – anything we said last week wouldn't apply to any situations this week. So CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic are both out. CJ has something going on with his foot. I believe it is, it's a hairline fracture on his left foot. And then Nurkic, I believe broke his wrist. (laughs) That poor guy can't catch a break. Um, Dylan, are the Portland Trailblazers going to enter the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes or do you think Damian Lillard will keep them out of it? Well, see, that's what sucks for them is like Dame is, is too good. I mean, if you like, they've had a bunch of different rosters over the years and they've had a bunch of guys come in and out and like, no matter who's there, they're always at least in contention, you know, like he's just so he his he raises their floor way too high for them to have a shot at a top pick. But man, I just feel so bad for them because Zach Collins has already been out. And like if you have Zach Collins stepping in for Nurkic, it's different. Cause I mean they had Collins playing the four and he really should be playing the five. Um <clears throat> so if he was able to step into a role like that. I don't think it would be as dramatic of a drop-off as, as it is with Enos Cancer stepping in there and Harry Drowles being his backup. Um, but, man, like taking CJ out of it too, and, like, you can't mess with feet, foot injuries, you know? Like a hairline fracture doesn't sound that bad, but, I mean, you can't – like you can't walk on that, you know? Like it, it takes a lot of rehab, and I don't – I haven't seen what the timetable is, but – I mean, both of those injuries are bad. Like they're gonna they're gonna be out for a while, and we've been talking about the depth of the West all year, and it's not gonna take much for them to start slipping. Even with with Houston trading Harden, I mean, they're still they still have a roster that's in contention, and like you know, teams like that are gonna take advantage of this and just uh, leave Portland in the dust. So I don't think they're gonna be bad enough to be you know top five pick category, but their, uh, their playoff chances are definitely slipping right now. So, okay. So I guess I'll swing it, swing the rock around, you know, we're going to pass the ball around the perimeter, get it to the open three point shooter in JD hall, JD. So do you think, so as you, as you know, the top 10 seeds this year, the bottom four, seven through 10 are in contention for the playing game, which might get them into the playoffs. Do you think that, the Blazers are going to still, even with this, with these two injuries, can stay in the top ten. Um, uh, that's tough, because I mean, when you look at the upcoming schedule outside of the uh, Memphis games being postponed, they got to see the Knicks, OKC, Houston, Chicago. Milwaukee, Philly, New York. How many of those games do they win? I mean, yeah, they they may have the best player in a lot of them, but they won't have the best team. You missing your best center, 
um, CJ having a career year. It's and then you already struggle on defense, and I, I think I can see them beating OKC easily. Um, every other game is a shot in the dark. I mean, it, for instance, people would think the Chicago game would be a walk, right? Now think of this: Chicago can match you score for score. Dame get a bucket. Zach Levine get a bucket. Then who would you say, Melo, second second score for um, Rodney Hood probably? If I had yeah. like based on what I saw in the Atlanta game, yeah. But he he's just you know he's just getting back. How can we expect that kind of um production every night? Who's to say he even got that win yet? You know, um, him him and Melo. Can we say they go now score the rest of Chicago guys like? Kobe White, marketing, um, Porter, Garrett Temple uh, caught fire not long ago. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's gonna be tough at, when you gotta go through this this kind of schedule coming up, and he's gonna be gone four weeks. CJ gone four weeks. That's that's gonna be tough. The West is too stacked for that. I think when you look at all the other teams around them, you can literally say that they may or may not be just as good. Memphis is right there with CJ gone. Can we say that they better? Um, it's a it's a chance with Nurkic being out. It's a chance they get Jaron Justin Jr. back anytime soon. Yeah, they better easily. Um, the Spurs. Um, Aldridge trying to get his legs back under him uh, from being back. They still got to get Derek White back. But with what they have now, just the pieces they have now, they actually can contend with them. Can we say they right hand, right foot better? Uh, they around the same, just depending on the kind of night the Spurs young guys have. Dallas, they better. Just got their guys back. Denver, they're better. Just got their guys back. Um you know what I'm saying? Then, as Dylan said, Houston, Houston got a team that could come up. All they need is everybody to be healthy. So I, I can't necessarily say they gonna hold that spot. Um, really, it, it's interesting to see what place they fall to after this stretch of games. Like within these next five games, they could possibly fall down to what maybe eleventh. It's crazy to be looking at the standings so far in the league, right? Because we're only 15 games in. But you guys are pointing out, rightly, that the West is a lot tough. Like, if this was the Eastern Conference, I think all of us would probably agree that Damian Lillard could carry them to, like, probably a top six seed in the East this year. The East has been really ravaged by injuries. Now Brooklyn has three, like, probably two of, like, maybe three of the best five players in the whole conference. It's going to be rough sledding for morale in the East. Like, if you're in the East, if the Blazers were in the East, I could see them maintaining, right? But I don't think they're better than the Spurs, like, even with all these injuries, right? The Spurs just flew them the fuck out a couple games ago. It's, again, you're right about Dallas and Denver. Um, Sacramento (laughs) might be better than they are, you know, without Dame. So it's tough. It's, or it might be as good as they are, I'll say. So it's tough. Um, anything else, Dylan, you want to say before we move on to the, to our teams for the week? Well, again, like I pulled the standings up and 
I mean, as JD mentioned, like Dallas and Denver have gone off to a slow start. And like those are teams we know are going to pick it up at some point. So those two teams are both out of the playoffs right now. And then earlier I mentioned Houston as well. So like, and and me and AB were t- uh, texting the other day about Memphis. Like it doesn't matter what happens to Memphis, they're just going to win games. I mean, they they held their own without John Morant. They haven't had Jaron Jackson. Uh, I think Valanciunas is battling some stuff right now, and like they just figure it out anyway. So, I mean, there's just there's just way too much depth uh, for you know even if it's just a month without CJ. I mean, they're going to lose a ton of ground. So, uh, you know, I, I still believe in uh, in Dame, and maybe they make a late season run, but they're definitely going to have some ground to make up. And Dame can't keep doing this to his body, where he has to keep making a late season run so that they can get the eighth seed. Because yeah. it was only eight games last year, but that must have been tough on his body, where he had to drag the team out of the like depths of the. Because they were like the eleventh seed coming in, I think. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Look at the the scoring. <clears throat> look at the outbursts he had in February, man. Just just 50, 40, 40, 50. I mean, mm-hmm. they going to start calling Damian Lillard the hunchback of Portland. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that's really good place to end it because that's a really fucking good nickname, JD. I'm kind of jealous that I didn't think of it. Um, so we're since you're the guest here, we brought you on for a specific reason. San Antonio Spurs are one of your two favorite teams. And yes, everyone says JD has a lot of favorite teams. I will clarify in your defense. You have two favorite players who were on your favorite teams. Yes. And then both got traded to the Wolves and the Raptors. And now they're on the Clippers and the Heat. Yes. So with that out of the way, the Spurs are one of your favorite teams. And they had themselves a week. I have to avoid (laughs) trying to say they had an interesting week. Because it's such a like a, a audio crutch, but so for the week they lost to the Rockets on Thursday, and then they beat the Rockets on Saturday. They mm-hmm. blew out the Blazers, like we mentioned on Monday, and then yesterday they got their asses handed to them by the Golden State Warriors. So, JD, I'll start with you. And one of the things I've noticed when I'm watching the Spurs is that it seems like they just. Okay, DeJounte Murray. I'll start with that with him because you love DeJounte. We'll start on a positive note since it's your great team. place. Great place to start, AB. So, what have you seen from watching DeJounte this year that has stood out that's different to you from what you've watched in the last couple of years? Um, I can put that in one word: aggressiveness. The that's the one thing that anybody that know me know I love those all around kind of players, but to get a tall long guard, I, I said about Lonzo, uh, if he was if he was more aggressive, I said about Lamelo. Lamelo is that aggressive. Um, if you play with that kind of aggressiveness, yo, instantly you make a a impact no matter what it is that you're doing. DeJounte, we already know that he's an athletic uh, athletic freak to be that to be that skinny. But when you really just watch his game, quick quickness in his hands, he could turn he could turn any any play into a fast break. He he's he's so quick, he's so fast. He get through the smallest holes. He got a tight handle. One of the best rebounding point guards that's not named Luke or LeBron James in the game. Um, 
his, his vision is, is very is very good. I mean, I, I seen him make some plays that it looked like he would he should have turned the ball over a couple times. And I think Pop just letting him be him. He never had a point guard as as uniquely skilled and tall as DeJounte Murray. I mean, the closest was uh, older Rod Strickland. Um, but, that was like, a while ago. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, the DeJounte, every, every season you see Pop let the reins go, but this season – in particular, that that aggressiveness is actually leading his team, regardless of what anybody believe. It's Dejounte Murray that's making these things happen. And so, yeah, Dejounte's been really aggressive. You know, one of the things that stood out is he's not shooting particularly great. I haven't checked the updated stats, but last I checked, he was shooting forty four percent from the field and thirty two percent from three, which I mean overall is fine for as for how many mid range pull ups he's taking. But Dylan, let's face it. We both knew coming into this first week that one guy was going to stand out for the two of us. That was going to be Kelvin Johnson. <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> what have you seen from Johnson that you've liked so far? You know, I'm happy that he's played this way because really the first time I really got a good look at him last year was when he was in the bubble. Um, I mean, that Spurs team last year was was really good in the bubble. And they fell short of the playoffs, but they – I mean, they they played – like, outside of Phoenix, they were one of the better bubble teams, if not the, the second best. And, and you know, he he was he was one of the guys that was really reliable for them despite his lack of experience. And, I mean, he's been really nice this year. Like, he's – the thing I like about him is that he just takes on any defensive challenge that comes to him because, I mean, he's essentially playing the four right now at 6'5". And I mean, he he'll guard guards one possession. He'll guard a center the next. Like he's he's pretty strong. And like I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like he's doing amazing on defense. Like he's he's holding his own. Uh, but there's just he's switching around to so many different types of players. Uh, you know, you got to imagine it's it's a tough challenge. You got to be quick one play. You got to be strong the next. Um, and then offensively. He's been pretty good. He hasn't been as efficient as he was in the bubble, but again, you know, it was a short, um, wasn't too much of a sample size, but he's, I mean, he's a, he's pretty, a pretty reliable shooter, uh, about league average. I like his shot because him and Vassell, they both have these shots to just hang in the air forever. And it's, it's, I always love watching it. And Obi Toppin with the Knicks, who we'll get to later, is kind of like that. Just a, like really high arcing threes that just take forever to come down, and you always think it's going to be short for some reason, but it's not. Um, so I've liked how he's played. Uh, you know, they, I think they have some better, uh, the some better options for starting lineups in general than you know the one they've gone with. But I think for the the role they've been asking him to play, he's been pretty good. So, J.D., do you want me to approach this next question positively or negatively? Because I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'll ask it in a different light. Um, 
negatively. Okay. So I have cleaning the glass pulled up, you know, our favorite stat site. And I'm just going to read you the differentials of all the players who've played a lot, right? The worst is Kelton Johnson at minus 23.9. Now, I don't know what that means, but I think you'll see where I'm going with this. LaMarcus Aldridge is minus 15.6. Lonnie Walker is minus 14.6. DeMar DeRozan, minus 14.3. DeJounte, plus 5.9. Patty Mills, plus 9.5. Devin Vassell, plus 19.0. Jakob Pertl, plus 22.6. Rudy Gay, plus 23.1. I don't know if you noticed, J.D., all the guys with the positive differentials besides Murray are all bench players. Um, Absolutely. So you and I had a text discussion about this last night, but would you change out the LaMarcus Aldridge center position, or what would you do for the starting lineup to make the starting lineup better? Um, I think one of the biggest things for them right now is they they really haven't been able to st- – do what they want to do because players are still hurt. Derek White. Yeah, is, we haven't talked hurt. about Derek White at all. Uh, Aud- Aldrich being hurt was a, a big loss too because one thing, uh, the one game Derek White was able to play, they started him, DeJounte, uh, DeMar. Uh, DeMar really been playing the four this year, and I'm not against it. Um and I believe was it Keldon Johnson? I believe it was Keldon mm-hmm. Johnson and Aldrich. And um I liked it. The reason I liked it is because for one, Lamar can shoot the ball better than DeMar DeRozan. And with the rest of those guys out there, you want to be able to get downhill if you DeMar. You want to get to the rim. But what I'm my biggest thing is right now. If you make any changes to that lineup because Aldridge just just coming back from injury, you don't know if that's the right move to make right now. So j- just throwing back um where where he belong, and if you see that it continues to go downhill, then I make the switch with Purtle. But now my question is, how does Purtle and Demar play together? Can I really trust? that pick and roll pick and pop to be as deadly with Aldridge. I really don't just because we know Purtle can't score. They go double up. I thought what they did in the bubble though, JD, when they played with, you know, cause LaMarcus missed the bubble uh-huh. and they were playing, you know, their starting lineup was they were starting Lottie instead of Johnson, mm-hmm. but that starting lineup just was bombing threes. Oh, yeah. Like more than a pop team usually does. And I thought, you know, when Pertle was playing center, you know, they were having that vertical, that vertical spacing rather than mm-hmm. just like, you know, the five out. Because something I've noticed watching Spurs games is that the floor just seems really cramped. And DeMar is a good passer, but DeMar is not a great passer. Mm-hmm. And he tries to jam things into areas that he just, <laughs> he's not that great at. Like he's a, not LeBron a lot. James. A lot. And I just think, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is because there's not like other than Patty Mills and I'm not starting Patty Mills over Dejounte Murray. There's not like a great three point shooter just lying around on this team. Mm-hmm. And I just you're you're definitely right, but I just think that there's ways that they could probably. I think the defense is probably what more they need to focus on rather than the offense on the yeah. starting five. At least that's me. Yeah. Um. But see, that's that's one of the things though. Um. By them going so young. 
I mean, look, 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 look at the 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 guys that they putting out there. The Jante defensive minded, and we all know that. Um, been second team all defense, arguably could have been first team a couple times, but we know he's a all defensive team type of guy. Keldon Johnson. He can make his way there. I would prefer um, Lonnie Walker being on the floor with those guys because he 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 fits the mode of three and D with enough athleticism to in a in a fast break don't be in his way on a fast break. I mean, but really, what the Spurs need to do is go ahead and cut loose Aldridge and Demar. In the off season, it was talks of trading Aldridge to. Uh, to to Golden State, Golden State would have been a great place for him to go. Um, Philly was interested up in um, Aldridge. I don't see why that wouldn't have worked. Let him run the second second unit. Uh, then they got Dwight. But anyways, I think it's time to let those two go and let the rest of these guys really let the young guys go. Trey Lyles played a lot last season, and he was actually a huge part of what they did. They ran, they ran small, put him at the five. Rudy Gay would run the four, or they'll switch it depending on what. Um, I think it was. I think what they need to do is really cut those two guys go, Demar and Aldrich. I would keep Rudy just a little bit longer. Just for the simple fact, I think the way Rudy played alongside these younger guys, it's a benefit to keep his keep his uh, value going up. Patty Mills is another one. Right now, he he looking great. Patty Mills is looking the best we've ever seen. As long as his value is going up, then you trade him off to another team. Yeah, and actually that leads me, JD. Thank you. You led me right where I wanted to go to ask Dylan. Dylan, you sent me a text last night. Patty Mills might be one of my favorite role players of all time. Um, what have you thought about what, what you've seen from Patty Mills so far? Dude, Patty Mills is so good. I mean, like every game, I, I think if you've watched these games, like one of the things I realized this week was, and you mentioned at the at the top, I mean, they, they're just like kind of different every game. Like you don't really know what you're going to get. And I think a lot of that has to do with they don't have a ton of offensive structure. I mean, going off of what JD was just saying, like like having DeRozan and Aldridge in there, it with those other guys, there's just it seems like there's two different paths kind of colliding here. And Pop, one of the benefits of Pop is that he lets a lot of these guys play their own game. And as J.D. mentioned, I think that's why DeJounte has been so good this year because he's just been playing his own game. And I think that's why Derek White was so good last year because he was doing the same thing. Um, but there's just uh, there's just a lack of structure, and I think that's where a lot of the problems are. But Patty Mills is like the one guy where no matter what's going on, you can expect him to hit a big shot for you. And in that Portland game – I mean, he was killer. Like, he was he was one of the main reasons why they got such a huge lead in that game. And some of the threes he hits are crazy. Like, we've known he's a good three-point shooter for a long time. He's, you know, had roles on, on uh, really deep playoff runs and title teams and all that. But, man, like, he, he'll, he'll hit, like, fadeaways in the corner that you never expect someone like that to hit. 
like for his size, he's not, he's, it's not like he's shooting over guys. Like he's KD. That's super tall. Like he's throwing up. He throws up a lot of shots that you would just never expect a guy his size to hit. And he hits it. And I just love watching him. And, and it goes the same with Rudy Gay. Like I, I think Rudy Gay has been a huge part of, of their bench success. And, you know, we're talking about the struggles of their starting lineup, but they actually have their, their second most run lineup is actually the most efficient lineup in the league. According to claiming the glass, it's in the hundredth percentile. They're plus 38.5 in 115 possessions. And that lineup is Murray Mills, Vassell, Rudy Gay, and Pirtle. And I think a lot of that has been Mills and, and Gay just uplifting that. Um, and obviously there's more space on the floor too. But, yeah, Patty Mills has been really good, and, and so is Gay. And as far as what you guys are just talking about with the starting lineup, I mean, it's, it's hard to figure things out when you don't have Derek White. Like, I don't think you can underestimate how good Derek White has become. And if you have him and DeJounte playing together, that's that's a very explosive backcourt. And I think I think them two together would be awesome, and it would, it would solve a lot of their offensive struggles. So hopefully he can get back soon because that, that is a huge missing piece for them. And right now it feels like they are that one guy short, and I think that's why they've just been so up and down. I think you definitely can't underplay that. And it's just been, I don't know, watching the Spurs, because I've watched them independent of this week. You know, I just like watching the Spurs in general. I think that you're definitely right, because then you bump Lonnie Walker probably back down to the bench. I don't think Kelton Johnson is going to leave the starting lineup anytime soon. I don't think he's the problem. I read the minus 29 point whatever. I don't think that's his fault. Like, I think that's more of a – the starting lineup doesn't make sense, so that's why all the guys, you know, DeRozan and Aldridge and Walker, they all have terrible plus-minuses, and then all the bench guys. I think the team needs to probably be rejiggered, though. I think what JD said can't – is probably the best solution, just letting DeMar and LaMarcus go. And I think LaMarcus is a free agent after this season. And LaMarcus is just getting really old in general. I don't think he's – like, he's, this is his 15th season. I don't think he can handle, like, even what he did two years ago. I think those days are long gone for LaMarcus Aldridge. And DeMar, DeMar will be fine. I wouldn't be mad if they kept DeMar around because he's been a revelation as a four on offense. He's been really good. Just the last, like, couple seasons playing the four on offense. But LaMarcus, I think the LaMarcus Aldridge days are done, and they need to – get behind the youth movement and start Pirtle. Um, anything left to say about the Spurs guys before we move on to the next team? No, go, sir. Go Spurs, go. Make the playoffs. <laughs> oh, take this is the Alex and Dylan basketball power hour. Get your homerism out of here. What? Hey, I will say, I spent a nice, like, four days in San Antonio. Beautiful place, man. It, it's a beautiful place, and part of – Part of me wants to become a Spurs fan and just move down on that river walk. I mean, what a what a city, man. What a city. <laughs> on that note, um, I did not expect – I'm pretty sure the San Antonio Tourism Board will be sending you your paycheck soon, Dylan Hughes. Um, <laughs> so I think 
God, we are not left with a lot of great choices here. Dylan, I'll let you choose. Who do you want to talk about next? Do you want to say the Hawks for last and just get the Knicks over with, or do you want to do with the other? Yeah, I, I I got the Knicks stuff up, so we'll go ahead and and start there. All right. So I should have said the Spurs record. It was eight and seven. The Knicks are seven and eight. Their last four games, or actually they only played three games this week, so we had a pretty light week in terms of Knicks, thank God. Um, they lost to the Cavs, 106-103. They absolutely blew out the Celtics in a game that I figured, hey, the, the score is big enough where I don't have to watch. 105-75, to and then they beat the Orlando Magic, 91-84. to And they're playing the Warriors tonight, but Dylan, we, we'll be caught dead before we wait for a 10 o'clock tip-off to, to cover a Knicks game. So... Yeah, I'll start with you this time, Dylan, since I started with JD last time. Just general thoughts about the Knicks. Like, how do you well, – I'll save Randall talk for JD because I, <laughs> I know you don't want to get into that too much. But do you have anything positive to say about the Knicks? I guess I'll, I'll start with that. I have positive things, and they will be attached to negative things. But <laughs> I think my main takeaway from this week was how good quickly is. So the numbers don't show it yet as far as plus minus and all that, which, you know, plus minus is iffy, especially in small sample sizes. So I, it's not worth mentioning right now, but I love quickly and it didn't take me long to be like, I think this guy is already the Knicks best prospect, which is crazy because they've had so many chances at high picks and they've – I don't want to say they've whiffed on all of them, but they've definitely not hit on all of them. And quickly was taken at the end of the first round. And I guess there's just something about Kentucky guards that's just impossible to stop in the NBA because we have a large sample size of these guys just being awesome. And maybe it's a Calipari thing if you want to throw Rose in there too, which I know you will, Alex. Oh, that's Shady. But- that's Shady. Shady's the um- – <laughs> You gotta, you gotta add D Rose in there. Oh, you're talking about D Rose, yes, of course. Sorry, but JD loves loves Cal- UK. So Calipari, Calipari, I mean, look at look at look at the guards that come from under him. Look at him, and Julius Randle. Yeah, I mean, you could get into bigs too. I mean, they've they've obviously had a great uh, run, and they also Nerlens Noel is also on this roster. Uh, which we don't need to discuss too much. Free Nerlens. <laughs> I wouldn't say he needs free. He's he's in a good spot. He's in a good spot. Um, but quickly, like the thing I love about him is that, like, does he already have the best floater in the league? I mean, his float. I don't think I've seen him miss a floater. And there was again in that Magic game which because of the score, I decided just to watch the highlights because 91 to 87 is not a game that I want to watch in 2021. But he literally had a floater from the, the free throw line and it went in. It's like he, he, we, I've talked about this with Deer and Fox a lot where that second season jump he made was, was so amazing. And we talked about John Morant, how he just came into the league and he knew his game. And point guards usually don't do this. Like, a lot of point guards take a couple years to figure things out. I mean, as we were just talking about with the Spurs, like, DeJounte Murray's just now getting there. Derek White just got there last season after a few years. And quickly just seems to know what he wants to do right now, and it's working. I mean, he's he's getting good three-point looks. He's, he's not turning the ball over. 
which for a, a lead guard as a rookie is really surprising and rare. He's pretty decent at passing. He's he hasn't but he hasn't been great with assist wise, but I mean he's he's made some decent passes and I really like watching him and, and look comparing him to these other prospects. I mean RJ Barrett, not a huge fan. Kevin Knox obviously has really disappointed to this point. Obi Toppin still early, but not sure how I feel about him yet. Uh, I mean, Dennis, Dennis Smith, Dennis Smith Jr., who is only available in in garbage time at this point, and obviously Frank. Frank <laughs> has has Frank even played this year? He has played four games. Is he hurt? He might be hurt. Let's check the injury report. It says out next to his name, but that right knee. He is listed as doubtful for tonight's game. Okay. I feel like that's fake, but that's – we don't need to go into a conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's basketball reference, Dylan. Well, we'll see. We'll see. The truth will come out. We, we know what Tibbs does to these players behind the scenes. But anyway, no so – No Tibbs bashing. Anyway, so – R.J. Barrett, I want to talk about a little bit. So here's my problem with R.J. Barrett. He he is very good when he goes to the left. The problem is that he always goes to the left. <laughs> and I think teams are starting to figure out, hey, let's cut this guy off when he goes to the left. And, and then it's just R.J. Barrett plowing into guys and throwing up awful shots at the rim. I mean – this was a guy that that I thought of the top prospects in that draft. I thought he definitely had the the biggest chance of busting. And it's obviously too early to call him a bust, and I don't do that with young players. I usually give guys um, a long time, especially if you look at someone like Campaign. I mean, Campaign took like five years to figure it out. You know, like it just takes time for some of these guys, but – Barrett has just – he hasn't improved much from college from what I've seen. I mean, his shot selection is still poor. He makes good passes, but he also makes a lot of dumb passes. He's definitely a good rebounder, which just, I think, goes with his size. But obviously there's an instinctual stuff that comes along with that. Very good at drawing fouls, which part of that is just that he attacks the rim recklessly. And you hope he gets fouled, otherwise it's just going to be a terrible miss. So – there's things to like about him, but there's definitely – he's got a long way to go. And some of these other guys, I don't know. I don't want to get too off track with with uh, with Reggie Bullock talk, but, you know. I, I mean, the main takeaway is, is the Knicks have been better than they usually are. And for that, I think we should celebrate. I mean, so I – Pulled out the stats, right? And one thing that our three teams this week have in common is that they all have great defenses and horrible offenses. Absolutely horrible. Like the the Knicks are scoring 104.6 points a game, which is good for 28th in the league. They're only allowing 106.6 points per 100 possession. I should have said per 100 because that's usually what we do here on the um, Alex Dillon Basketball Power Hour from cleaning the glass. But, yeah. The Knicks, 28th in offense, 5th in defense. J.D., I don't know how much Knicks you subjected yourself to, but I just answer the question. How much Knicks have you subjected yourself to this season, first of all? 
only nationally televised games. So when you're watching RJ Barrett, I'm just curious to see what are you like, what are you thinking about him? Like, do you think this guy should be a lot better? Do you think this guy, what do you just, what do you think about RJ Barrett when you're watching him play? Um, the first thing that come to my mind is confusion. I think he confused about what he's going to do. He really don't know what he should stand on. Like, what can he call his strong suit? What can he call his go-to move? He really, you know how they say the NBA is a whole nother level. You know how the all the dribblers, the ball handlers got to have a counter move. I feel like R.J. Barrett is still looking for his counter moves to everything in the NBA. He can't just go by being more athletic than people. He can't just go by being the the guy that's left-handed that can get to his left hand no matter what. Now you're going against people who watch the game enough to know if I cut off his left hand, he's going to take two dribbles to the right, then stop and look for a pass. You know what I mean? I think that he really got to figure out his place in, in the NBA. Then being a, a third overall pick, I think that really is something that may go against him just because he was drafted so high and people had so much uh, expectations of him that I don't think he will ever feel them out. But he could be one of those guys that, you give him a little bit of time, he could turn out to be a, a great role player on a good team. Um, he could be more, but like I said, it's all depending on will, what will he do with his game? What can he find within himself and say, this is what I'm great at. I can hone in on this while I polish everything else. Could he be an Evan Turner? Like that? That's the role I'm seeing. So I don't think he's as good a passer as Turner is personally. No, I'm saying like just one of those guys that you 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 know he can do a little bit of everything, but you can't say go out and give me this nightly. So okay, this is this is what because I, I heard what you both said about RJ Barrett, and you're both making very valid points. I will make one counter to you, Dylan. I know you like Reggie Bullock. He is their only shooter on the floor in their whole starting lineup. Mm-hmm. That's it. They don't have shooters on this team. Absolutely none. If they had shooters around, like if the point guard, because I honestly think it wouldn't be a terrible idea to just let RJ and and Julius handle the ball and just have shooters around them. Because Julius, I think, is a great Absolutely. passer. And we'll we'll get to your we'll get to your Julius Randall. I can feel it stewing. It's it's the elephant in the proverbial room right now. Dylan Hughes's hate for Julius Randall. But I mean, I like his feel for the game. I do think you're right, though. He it does have an over tendency to dribble to his left. And he, you know, he's 20. He's 20 and there's no space on the floor. If there was space on the floor and he was drafted by, I don't know, just some team with more space, right? Some team with more shooters. I think he would be looking a lot better than he is right now. But they just have Boston. nobody. That's why they should start quickly or maybe even start Rivers. They should probably be starting Rivers. Like, I don't know why they're insisting on starting Peyton over Rivers because it just doesn't make sense to me personally. This team doesn't have any space. <laughs> the floor is so clogged because Randall, Randall shooting a, a career high, he's shooting 35%. I've never seen Mitchell Robinson take a jump shot that wasn't in one of those hype videos. 
um, you know, the off-season training camp videos. <laughs> and Alfred Payton, oh, God, don't even bring that up. And Reggie Bullock, Reggie Bullock's a good shooter. I'll give him that. But I don't think Reggie Bullock, like Reggie Bullock can't be J, what J.J. Redick was for the 76ers, where he was their spacing. He can't do that. And honestly, Knicks wouldn't be a terrible J.J. Redick destination. But I don't know. I just don't think that there's enough space for him to operate. But Dylan, I'll, I'll let you rebut. Do you have any rebuttals to what I'm saying? No, I mean, I agree. And, and again, I've, as I said, the youth part, I give guys time to figure things out. But I mean, the spacing makes sense too, because, you know, I mean, Zion has the same spacing issues in new Orleans, but he's just so damn strong that he he's able to figure it out. But Barrett definitely needs space. Cause again, a lot of these problems with him plowing into two or three defenders is because there's absolutely no space around him. And I definitely think if they had more space, he would be better. But I, I still am just not a huge fan of the shot selection. But again, he's very young and he's got to figure things out. And he he's going to get opportunities in that offense. I mean, he's outside of Randall. He's the guy touching the ball the most. So he's he's going to get plenty of run this season to to figure things out. And hopefully by next season or even after the trade deadline, uh, there's a little bit more room for him to run around. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're almost done with the Knicks, but we got we got to talk about Julius Randle. And I'm, I'm going to throw it to JD first because um, – oh, actually, wait, before, before I move on to Julius Randle. They said that RJ Barrett and Zion were going to have more space in the NBA than they did at Duke. They um, – I think the spacing might have been a little better at Duke – than it is right now. It's right now in the NBA. They both play for teams that are just like, nah, fuck it. We're not going to shoot threes. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure the Knicks are last in field. Uh, hold on. So I have the Knicks page pulled up. So shoot three, three point frequency. So, oh my God. 29.3% <laughs> of their shots are threes. According to cleaning the glass. That is good for 30th. Good for 30th. Now let's let's do the Spurs, a team that we just pointed out does not shoot a lot of threes. I will bet you it is a good amount higher. <laughs> That's shooting frequency. The Knicks, okay, the Spurs are at 30.6%. They're 27th. How are the Spurs higher than you? That's damning. Patty damning. Mills. That's probably fair. If Patty Mills were on this team, this team would look a lot better. They're not going to get Patty Mills, and I'm not going to wish this on Patty Mills. But... JD, let's talk about Julius Randle. Um, he has been having a phenomenal start to the season so far. He is averaging, um, off the top of my head, he is averaging, so I actually pulled up the stats right now, it's 23 points a game, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, 48% from the field. JD, how do you like how Julius Randle's been looking so far? Um, I think he's the reason they win it. I think one thing I can say about Julius Randle, he always had this part to his game. Like, he could always do this. But, you know, it's always a but somewhere. But the thing with Julius Randle is he's finally not only got the freedom, but he learned how to do this under control. Julius Randle had to be the most out-of-control person trying to do everything he's doing now 
since his second season in the league. He 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 been wanting to play that point four position forever. But the thing is, when you when you're as big as Zion and you you spinning around as if you as if you Andrew Wiggins going to the hole every time, but you're trying to make a jump and pass every time you're going to continue to foul or you're going to turn it over. Like, like this, this just what he was doing. But now I think he, he found some composure. He learned how to do these things and, and when to do it. He's not going out there and just forcing his spin move anymore. He's not going out there and just playing bowling. He, he, he's actually, I think, what came along was what what Dylan hinted at about a lot of these guys being young. He he's finally matured enough to know I right, this is what I'm good at. This is how I should do it, when I should do it. You know, he learned his place. The only problem is he's on the Knicks. How valuable is what you're doing anywhere else? I think if Julius Randle played like this in New Orleans, it would have been a good thing alongside Anthony Davis. Been a great thing. But the problem is, can you really depend on him to do it when he got other guys around him that can show up every night? Is it going to be a detriment to the team, which we have seen before? Not granted he was on the Lakers, wasn't that much talent over there at the time. But at the same time, did when you're doing these things, you're doing it to the point where you're making your teammates bad and making yourself look bad. Being over there right now, I think who, who we gonna put on the uh who we who can we put out there and say they're just as all around as good as him? We just talked about RJ Barry. He's still finding his game out. I think right now this is the best time for Julius Randle to show what he's capable of, do what he's doing. Hell, build your value up and get out of there and go to a team that may be able to use you in a Draymond role. Dylan, um, I'm just going to throw an entry pass to you. Get out of the way. Whatever, Everything that JD said was right on the head. So – Julius Randle has been good this season. There's no doubt about that. He's points, rebounds, assists, and three-point percentage, all career highs. So watching these games, I was just waiting. I was waiting for something for him to do something wrong so I could get mad because that's that's just what I come <laughs> in with. That's what I come in with. And it did take a while for me to get mad. And I mean, he's he's he really has found his his shot from like all levels. I mean, his three point shots looking good. He's very smart in the paint. Like he he's got that hook shot down. I mean, he's he he knows exactly how to use his body to get good angles and all that stuff that these big men that can handle the ball figure out. So, as far as his own game, he has looked good. The problem is, as JD was talking about is that this is the only situation where he can be good. He has to be the best player on the team. He has to. And and this is what I've said for so long, because when he was in New Orleans, 
that was when I started to not like him. I liked him in, in with the Lakers. I thought he was he was pretty good on defense, especially towards the end of his tenure there. Like he he figured it out on defense and offense. I mean, he's he's been a similar style of player on offense. As JD mentioned, he's been kind of out of control at some points, and he's he's figured that out now. But when he was in New Orleans, he he wanted to be the guy. And when you're playing with Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, you can't be the guy. And it, you could tell that that the efficiency with with him on the floor is just not the same. He was putting numbers up, but he, the rest of the team around him, was not playing that well. And it's the same thing with this Knicks team. I mean, right now they look pretty decent. They've been winning more games than we have expected, but he cannot have if, if someone on this team like quickly or Barrett all of a sudden starts demanding a ton of attention on on offense and they need the ball more, you're just going to have Randall standing around and these numbers are going to start to go down because he just has to have the ball. And, and the point that I finally got mad at him when I was watching him was, so I was just thinking if I'm a Knicks teammate and I give the ball to him off a rebound, I know I'm not getting it back. He's going to dribble the whole way down and look for his shot. And there was a moment where he ran into the paint and there was three guys waiting for him. He chucked the ball out to the corner like five feet over the shooter's head. It's like he doesn't know what to do if he's going to the rim and it's not there. He's just looking to dump the ball off on someone else. And, I mean, his passing numbers are good. Like, I'm not saying he's a bad passer, but he just – he tries to dump the ball too much when he does not get what he wants and – that, I think that's the next step for him is is figuring out how to move the ball the right way and not just strictly look for his shot because that's when that's when some of that out of control recklessness comes back and it hurts the team it does like if if he's the guy that's gonna be your number one scorer and he can handle a ball a bunch then you know you're gonna be a decent team like you're gonna be able to score and uh, you're gonna win some games. But you definitely have a pretty hard ceiling, and you can't expect the surrounding teammates to be doing much. So that's one thing. If quickly does end up starting, that's what I'm going to watch out is when when you have a guy that needs the ball, what's going to happen with Randall? And I would imagine that he's he's probably going to start having those career high numbers start to come down a bit. So I will say, watching Julius Randle, there was one play that I saw him make where there was a guy cutting, right? Cutting from the wing. And he was eyeballing the guy who was cutting, right? From the wing. And then Randle found a shooter wide open in the corner. Those kind of reads are the kind of reads you want to see. Now, I can't disagree with your with your points, Dylan, but I think he's getting there. And I think he's smart enough where he can get there. I mean, obviously, yes, he needs the ball a lot, but I don't know. I think he could put up like 20, 20, like maybe not 20, but maybe like 18, 10, and 5 and be effective somewhere. I don't know. I think that he's not particularly lost. Now, his defense is terrible. <laughs> his defense is absolutely atrocious because um, there's just a lot of times where he's the big guy inside because Robinson is on the perimeter for whatever, and he just does not rotate. He does not do a particularly great job of boxing out. And he's 26 now. There's there's no really no excuse for that. If you're not going to – if you haven't learned now, you're never going to learn. But on offense, I think he's a, I think he's a good player. I think he's good. 
that's the problem. I think he put too much energy for offense than defense. Cause I've 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 seen him be a great guy that bosses out. I've seen him rotate. I've seen him switch and, and be a nuisance to ball handlers. But how many times have I seen it? I could count on my hand. That's the problem. I think he's capable of doing those things. But I think he's one of them guys that's caught up in what the league is. It is a half fast-paced game where it's bucket for bucket. And if you really want to be one of the best, make sure that it's a fast-paced game so you can get your numbers. Think about all the guys that play slower, slower-paced games in all these teams. What's being said about them? Low numbers as uh, far as viewing ratings. Um, they're considered boring. A lot, a lot of times, these guys looking more into what's gonna get them paid versus what's gonna uh, make what what's gonna make them better, they team better, and get them um, a ring. Look at Miami. Miami was the team with an ultimate sacrifice last year that played fast all season and literally in the playoffs had one of the best half-court games. Why? Because they knew they wanted to win. Um, Literally, Julius Randle can can pretty much be similar to a Bam out of bio. If he literally committed on the defensive end to be a little bit more assertive and, and energetic the same way he is offensively. You will get those same passes. You're going to outrun guys. Like, he, he he could do these things. But will he make the ultimate sacrifices of his numbers to do that like a Bam Adebayo? Instead of looking for those numbers, will he just let it come to him? It's an excellent question. Um and I think that's probably where we should move on from the Knicks. I think that was a really good capper there, JD. Um, I do want to shout out Mitchell Robinson because he's been playing pretty well on the interior for the Knicks. But I think that the team is so flawed defensively that he's probably not going to get the shine that he deserves. I think he's been pretty good, all things considered, for the Knicks this year. But let's move on to Dylan Hughes' Atlanta Hawks. I like to say, you know, I feel like Dylan has a, a soft spot in his heart for the Hawks. So they're currently 7-7. Seven and seven. This last week, they got destroyed by the Jazz, 116-92. They lost a close one to Portland, 112-106. to They beat the trail. They beat the Timberwolves, excuse me, 108-97. And they beat the Pistons, 123-115 in overtime. Now, Dylan, um, <laughs> the Hawks are missing Bogdan Bogdanovich and Danilo Gallinari. Probably their two most important free agent signings and the two that probably elevated them for us as one of our favorite teams. But what have you liked from what you've seen from Atlanta this week? Yeah, the injuries have, have been tough. I mean, we've – Gallo has basically missed the whole season at this point. And Bogdan has uh, – he's going to be out for a long time, it seems like. So, unfortunately, like, the, those were the two guys that we were like, okay, this Atlanta team is going to score a shit ton of points because you have two really nice creators and floor spacers out there with Trey and Capella down low. That It's, it's going to be a lot of points scored. And, unfortunately, those two are out right now. 
So they've been having some lineup difficulties this week. We didn't really get to see reddish and Hunter has missed a game too. So there's been a lot of different players. We've, we've seen some Nathan Knight action who I believe got some love on our preview pod because he has the same birthday as me, if I recall correctly. So happy to see a fellow September 20th birthday, get some shine on the floor. But so you know, you would expect us to talk Trey Young, and we will get to him. But the first guy I want to talk about is Capella. And and we knew Capella was going to be good with Trey. I mean, it made way too much sense because we know how Capella was with James Harden. I mean, you have – those are two of the best guys in the league at running a high pick and roll. And Capella is one of the best guys at finishing them. And, I mean, Capella has been a monster. I mean, in that Pistons game yesterday – he had like 26 points, 25 rebounds and five blocks, I think, which I saw a, I saw a graphic of like how small the company is. I forget who's on it, but it it's 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 rare to see a game like that. And I mean, especially battling the one somehow one of the best scores in the league, Jeremy Grant, uh, which uh, I'm I'm almost excited to get to the Pistons part of our podcast. In the you know within the next couple months because Jeremy Grant is just all of a sudden an awesome scorer now I don't know how that happened but uh, I mean Capella has been so good at cleaning rebounds up I mean we know he's a great rebounder but I mean Atlanta is one of the best rebounding teams in the league because him and John Collins are so good at rebounding and Capella right now has an offensive rebounding percentage of fourteen point two which is way up there in the league, and it's a career high for him. And, I mean, he just cleans everything up. And it's I think a lot of those rebounds are off his own misses because he's been attacking the the rim a lot more. Like, he's actually been dribbling a little bit and going up. And he's not so comfortable with that, so he's been missing some bunnies. But he cleans them right up and puts them back away. And on the defensive end, obviously, he's been just as good – challenging guys and I talked uh, on our Nets podcast last was it last week or two weeks ago about how he just killed DeAndre Jordan I mean he I'm happy he's finally healthy because he he has looked really good and I did the math on his stats in the four games this week and he is in the four games this week he averaged 23 points 17 rebounds and three blocks on 66 percent shooting I mean it doesn't get much better than that and when you add in what John Collins has been and see, if you look at John Collins's counting stats, he's not doing great compared to the years prior, but you got to realize that this team has a lot. He's not the second option. Like he was, there's a lot, there's a lot to go around now. So his numbers are down, but he still has his moments. I mean, that Pistons game, he was awesome. He had 30 points and he was getting everything to go in. And he's benefited, obviously, from Gallo being out. And in our preview pod, we were talking about how they might need to trade Collins because he's due for a contract this uh, upcoming offseason, and he's going to be a bench big for them. But, I mean, he's been he's been playing so well, and he fits great with Capella. He, he On his own, he's a plus 21.4 this season. Again, small sample size, but that's pretty awesome. And with Capella, he's plus 15.9. So, I 
So he he is playing really well with Capella, and I was kind of wondering if is he going to have to be is like is he a four? Is he a small ball five? Like what really is he? And his play with Capella has shown he's definitely a four. And and in the moments where he's played the five, they've been really bad defensively. So I don't think that's that's in his future. But those are the two guys that really stood out to me this week. I mean, again, like we'll get to Trey. He hasn't looked great. But those were the two guys that I think really anchored them in their wins. And another guy that really stood out to me was Kevin Herter. I, I think Herter is he has developed into like the perfect secondary ball handler for that team. I mean, he, he fits that role perfectly because he can handle the ball, but he shouldn't be your primary ball handler. He's a guy that can take a pass from Trey, beat a closeout and either get a shot up or make a good pass. I mean, he, he has just gotten really good at finding his rhythm and he slowly I think this is his third season now he's become more efficient in every single shooting category he's better at the rim he's been shooting a lot more mid-range this year uh, and he's been shooting well on those shots so I, I really like watching him and he's he's been really nice playing alongside uh, Trey and of course with with Bogdanovich out he's getting a lot more time but those were the three guys that stood out to me. There's obviously a, a lot of other guys to get to, but those were the three that I think this week really looked good in their wins, especially. So, JD, now I got to come back to you with the negativity. So, Trey Young um, has not, he got off to a blazing start the first like three or four games of the season. But now he's really come back down to earth. He is shooting 39% from the field, 29.5% from three. He is getting to the line 10.8. 10 times a game, which is really good. But, J.D., do you think the Hawks can win with Trey Young shooting that poorly? Um, No, but I think part of the reason why they – let me say this. That team is going to go where Trey Young goes, right? But what's interesting is because of some of these guys have developed and don't need Trey as much, I think it's hurting Trey. His shot, his shots, um, he's a volume shooter, right? The lower his shot attempts, the lower he scores. His shot numbers are down from last season. His free throws went up. But they went down since the Brooklyn game when he took, I think, 16 free throws. They've been down since then. So what I'm what I'm getting at is Trey Young is the up and down of this team. But because his shot is so important for him, if he's shooting bad, they won't be able to they won't be able to make it a survive. Cause I think one thing for sure that when when he's shooting great, now you now you know he he's having fun. He's gonna make the he's gonna make you look foolish. He's gonna get in his bag, right? But I think part of that goes into if he's playing bad, John Collins play bad. 
John Collins and Trey Young had arguably the best pick and roll game last year. Number one in points for uh, most of the season. I didn't know if they finished there or not, but they were one and two together, right? John Collins took a big step back because of the compeller uh, addition. But you could tell John Collins even seems un unsatisfied or uncomfortable because he's only as good as Trey Young. That's who that is his number one. They in other words, who who can I say? I, I need a good comparison of this guy revealed my true self to me on the court. Well I couldn't play as great without this guy. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well I would I would say I mean, we saw last season how bad Draymond was when Steph wasn't out there. Yeah, and yeah. perfect. This, this perfect. season, this season, Draymond has looked great because Steph has looked great. Perfect. Good. Best thing I could do. Best thing uh, you could say. And um, I think because of that, John Collins is looking a little one east. Uh, Trey Young, Young needs his teammates to need him. Kevin heard of making the steps as far as all right, I can dribble a little bit and create create my shot. I don't have to be a catch and shoot or a two dribble pull up guy. Um, Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, we we know that they both are are great cutters, right? But now they both able to put the ball down a little bit and get to the rim. Only person who really needs. I'm not going to keep saying knee as in he can't do anything himself, but he relies on Trey Young because they chemistry is so good together that he soars when Trey is at his best. Capella going to get his. Capella will look good giving you 10 points. Why? Because Capella not a volume scorer. We don't look for Compella to score. We look to, all right, you go catch these lobs when you got to. We know you're going to be a great offensive rebounder. You're you going to get out on the break uh, before the other teams. But, man, this is his role. That was John Collins' role last year uh, because he was playing that small ball five. Now playing him at the four next to Capella. Trey Young got somebody who could do what you do going to the rim a lot better than you. Now John Collins got to shoot the ball more, and he's not completely comfortable with that shot because he's not able to get the layups and dunks he was getting last year. And now Trey Young taking even less shot attempts, they can't win without it. Trey Young go. Trey Young gets the end all be all for that team. I do think he's going through a shooter slump. Um, I don't think he's a shooter that you can depend on if he take those. You know how Steph could take eight threes and 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 only make five, and the game is literally going their way. I don't think Trey Young can be that guy because he needs to take more. The, he needs to take more than eight threes. He need because if he only take eight threes, he probably only got about 17, 18 shot attempts. Yeah, that's Trey is interesting case study because I again I don't think anything you said was wrong. Um, just I think once he's back, you know, once the Bogey and Gallo are back to being healthy, Bogey will do a really good job of helping him, you know, 
get some pressure, release off dribbling the ball all the time. Because I think, Dylan, you might have noticed that too. Like, it feels like teams are guarding Trey different this year. It feels like they're kind of guarding him more like just up close and personal. And JD, you brought up the after the Brooklyn game. He is only taking eight free throw attempts a game after the Brooklyn game. And the shooting percentage is after that. He's shooting 35% from the field and 27% from three after that game. It's not um it's not very pretty, but yeah, Dylan, I'll just ask you, do you think that Trey can play off ball? And do you think that he will play off ball once Bogdanovich gets back? I think he could. I don't know if that's the best way to go completely. I mean, I can see the benefit of it. I would like to see if he's a guy that can can start coming off screens and hitting shots. Because those, I mean, those are the best way to free up good shooters of screens. I mean, we know this. And, you know, everyone's compared him to Steph. And I think one of the things that makes Steph a very unique shooter and just player in general is how many screens he sets. So not it's it's obviously different with Trey because he's so small. But even, in, I mean, just taking the action to set a screen, whether it's a good screen or not, is going to change the dynamic of your offense. And I think if you had if you had Trey run more screens, and that was also something that helped Kyle Korver a lot. I mean, it's funny watching Kyle Korver because this dude would screen anyone at all times. Like, go back and watch a game of Kyle Korver. He would literally just screen random people on the complete other side of the floor. I mean, and and it's because he knows what 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 that does for a shooter. And I think that's one of the benefits of having a guy like Bogdanovich come in is that he can handle the ball and he can run your offense if you need that. And at moments, you know, you want Trey to have the ball in his hands because, again, the pick and roll with Capella and Collins is damn near unstoppable. And that's something that you want. And you always want the ball in the hands of a good passer uh, like Trey. But – it would be interesting to see if he could become a different type of shooter, not just one of these pull-up guys that's going to have someone set a screen for him so he can get an open look from, you know, 33 feet out or whatever, 30 feet out. I would like to see if he can become more of an off-ball guy that that's setting screens and moving around a little bit more and coming off of pin downs and all that and getting him some good open looks off the ball. I, I think that would be interesting if uh, if Lloyd Pierce could implement more of that in their offense. Absolutely agree, Dylan. I, I completely agree. I think when you think of all the great shooters, look at J.J. Redick in Philly. Setting screens for Ben Simmons just because he was getting it back. Um, when you think of all the great shooters at the point guard position, um, a Kyrie Irving can play without the ball. Does he prefer to play without the ball? No. Can he play without the ball? Yes. His pull-up game is insane. Damian Lillard can play without the ball. Look at look at both of his most memorable game winners. One way he pulled up, the first one was without the ball. Came off the screen, ran, and got a shot. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. Um, you mentioned Cal Corver. All of these guys can play without the ball. But when you a point guard, yes, it's great to be able to pull up and get your shot whenever. That's what that's what makes you so great at being a shot creator. But can you still be a threat without the ball? 
um, I, I was noticing in a lot of the films that, like a lot of videos I watch, when Trey don't get the ball, he kind of do what I said Harden did last season. He sent a couple seasons. He sent at the logo. Does he have a range? Yeah. So somebody going to respect him enough. But it's going to come a time just like um, Golden State realized when Chris Paul had the ball and James Harden did. He's not looking to be invested in playing unless he had the ball. Will Trey Young fall into that trap? I don't know. But you don't want to do that when you're already on a team with veterans who know what you can do. Rajon Rondo gonna be in his ear, telling him what he could be become, what he could become. Gallinari gonna tell him what he can become. Capella gonna tell you what you can become and what you don't want to become, or what label can be put on you uh, if you do certain things. Know what I'm saying? So I think he got the ability to avoid all of that, but I don't know if he's really gonna fall into playing without the ball because he's so comfortable playing with it. And it's one of them things that you're so great. It's it's a it's a detriment to what you can become. Yeah, I think all, great points were made all around. Um, I want to touch on DeAndre Hunter a little bit myself before we go because I think we touched on just about everything. But I think DeAndre Hunter has taken a step forward this year. I really love the way he's been playing on both ends of the the floor. Um, he's shooting a lot better. He's shooting forty percent from three which, you know, is a market improvement from 35% last year. He's just better all around, and I think the Hawks are better for it. And I think that hit between him and Reddish and Herter, that's a hell of a, like, three, three-man three wing rotation. Um, Dylan, before we go, anything else you want to touch on about the Hawks? Yeah, I'm, I've always been interested in Reddish. I thought he was a guy – that was going to be one of those late lottery picks that was going to really surprise people because I mean, going into Duke, you know, he or coming out of Duke, I should say, I think people started to fall out of love with him. I think because his shooting at Duke was awful. I mean, I think he shot like 40% from two and people were really doubting whether he was going to be able to survive in the league. And it goes back to the point about Barrett and Zion earlier. Like there just wasn't much space. So, and I mean, you have Trey Jones there too, who wasn't a great shooter and whoever, like whatever Plumlee was the center. It seems like there's been a Plumlee center Duke for the past 15 years, but um, you know, there, there just wasn't a ton of spacing. And I think that impacted his shot and he hasn't been great from the field still, but I think he's I think he's smart, man. Like I, I think he's gonna figure it out on offense. It may take a while, but this is a guy I think we need to be patient with on offense because he it, it may take four or five years. He's still very raw and like he makes mistakes and his shot still isn't great. But I think he's smart. He's athletic. I think he's gonna eventually come along and playing with these other guys there is gonna help him because he's going to get a lot of opportunities to attack closeouts and things like that. Um, and obviously defensively, we know he's really good. And, and again, like playing with Hunter, I mean, I do think that is a great lineup. And, and that's just why I love this team so much because there's so much youth, but there's also so much talent. And a lot of, despite being young, these guys have proven that they're, 
Like they're good at the NBA level now, but they still have a lot of room to grow. And Hunter is one of those guys I kind of look at as is a is like a finisher. He's the guy you can swing to that's going to hit the shot when you really need it. And and we've seen this season uh, when he's when he's been out there that he's he's gotten a lot better compared to last season at at hitting those jump shots you want um, at the end of the shot clock if if there's too much pressure on Trey or whatever. So he's a guy I'm really liking too. So and and we've seen with some of these Virginia guys that I think Virginia and Villanova guys are always the ones you gotta you gotta you just kind of expect them to be solid. And I think he, he can definitely go above solid. I think he can be pretty good. So I'm excited to watch them the rest of the year. Uh, we'll come back to them later in the year when they're healthy, and I'm looking forward to that because there's a lot to be seen with this team that we haven't gotten to yet. No doubt. Um, by the way, Dylan, I looked up what you were saying about Capella, the, how many guys you know had had the 25, 25, and 5 blocks in a game, it's been 12 guys to do it through the history of the league that they've kept track of. Because as you know, and this should always be said when you're counting any stat, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell probably did this each 50 times. Okay, now that that caveat's out of the way. Kareem did it three times. He Again, he probably also did it more because it was the first however many years of his career they did not count blocks. But Kareem did it three times, all of them in L.A., um, Capella yesterday, Ewing did it in 1997, Artis Gilmore, Elvin Hayes, Bob McAdoo, Dikembe Mutombo, Shaquille O'Neal, and Akeem the Dream Olajuwon. Those are your 12 guys who have done it. So pretty pretty good company for my boy Clint. Yeah, and the thing about rebounds, I think the way I look at rebounds now is that you got to take 25% off because – there's just so many more three-point shots going up. A lot of these rebounds you wouldn't be getting back in the in the days that some of those guys were playing. So when we're looking at the historical stuff, I usually take 25% off. So that would still have Capella in the low 20s, which is pretty good. But, but yeah, I mean, that's great company. And, and Capella has had some really high rebound games outside of that too. So I think uh, it, it wouldn't be shocked if he gets another game like that this season because – I mean, even the scoring, he's been so efficient from the field. I mean, 25 points isn't out of out of uh, bounds either. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe he can – was Kareem the only guy that did it more than once? Akeem did it twice. Okay. So, that so that's Capella's next goal is to be the, the two times club. <laughs> with Akeem Olajuwon, you know, better – there's worse company to be in than with Akeem Olajuwon. Yes. Um, JD, I think anything else you want to touch on with the Hawks before we uh, wrap things up here? Just to touch on uh, what Dylan said about Reddish, I thought of something. You know what Reddish can do to um, just become an overall better player and fits that shooting well? Call up my boy Jimmy Butler. Call up Jimmy. Listen, focus the rest of this season on being a defensive stopper. Now, you come back after a summer with Jimmy. I bet you he learned how to affect the game even when he shoot bad. And he'll have more confidence in his shot. Because there's times now where he look a little hesitant. But I'm telling you, 
that's somebody who can get you right, man. Not right as in he going to fix your problem, but he been in that spot before. Go, go, go talk to Jimmy, Cam. Go talk to Jimmy, young buck. Go talk to James. My name is literally Jimmy Butler. No respect for Brett Brown. <laughs> and then I think that's going to wrap everything up for us. We did a pretty good job keeping this under an hour and a half today. Um, all right. I remember the name of the book on the last podcast. From one young soul to another. Okay. Dylan Hughes' book. If you don't buy this, I am going to... See, I don't want to say anything that will actually get me in trouble. That's that's the problem here with my threats of escalating violence. If you don't buy Dylan Hughes' book, I will come to your house and I will eat your food. All of it. Every single last bit of it. Even if I don't like it. Even if it's like pickles. I hate pickles. I will eat the pickles despite you because you did not buy Dylan Hughes' book. Just out of pure vengeance. Dylan, was that good enough for you, man? Wait, let me add on. Okay, Jake. And when the world goes into... Um, the Walking Dead times. I sacrifice you to the Walkers if you don't bat a book. There you go, Dylan. <laughs> All right, I'm you, man. When when I actually have a budget, I'm sending you guys out on on a trail of some sort. It it, it could just be wandering around in libraries or something, but Barnes and Noble maybe. But I'm telling you, man, this is this is exactly what I need to get off the ground here. And I mean, threatening to eat someone's food is like one of the most inconvenient things you could ever run into. I mean, having to take a trip out to the crowded store on a weekend. I mean, that's something that I I fear drastically to ever have to do. So I, I think that's one of the worst things you could tell someone. So I, I appreciate that, Alex. You know, I, I just try my best, Dylan, because it's hard to come up with something that will actually get me in trouble. Because I'm not going to say I'm going to murder them, right? That's, that's right. a bridge too far for me. That's Janie, that's too far. Yeah. Janie basically said he murdered them, but only in like a in a very specific scenario. So I didn't murder them, technically. <laughs> but you're not, not murdering them either. Technically... All I'm doing is not saving them. We get, That's a whole moral dilemma that we could get into some other time, but not right now. Go listen to Facts and Stats. Um, relationship series, right? That's that's still going on? Yeah, man, yeah. I got a couple of things going on, man. Um, but I'm about to close out the series real soon. And then... Dylan is actually reading his book for you on YouTube. So if you don't want to read it, you can make it really fucking easy for yourself and just, you know, listen to it. God damn it. That's that's going to be real easy for you. Um, also subscribe to his newsletter. Otherwise, you're a coward. Um, that's uh, Heavy Pockets. Subscribe to that. Um, the Running Cook Podcast Network. JD, you guys just put out a tremendous episode of The Battleground with maybe the best call out corner ever, which is saying something. Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. Uh, I can't believe that that guy did them like that. But thanks to Bryce and Zach, that guy is surrounded by great people. And by that guy, me, myself. <laughs> and for those of you that are curious, J.D. absolutely ripped apart his childhood football team. Actually, still his football team. Still but... my football team. Just absolutely ripped them to shreds. And and rightfully so. I felt everything that you were saying. 
Um, you know, triple option pass. They're going to come out with an episode the same day that we are. So if you want your college football fix after the NBA, they're going to be, it's going to be, sounds like it's going to be a pretty lengthy episode. So Lynn Sanity is doing their NFL coverage. Um, go check that out, especially because, you know, the next couple of weeks are going to be pretty big in the, in the NFL world, guys. I don't know if you heard um, this weekend's the championship games. Please Green Bay lose. No, Green Bay win. Green Bay win. Green Bay win. You were left with a, um, a I horrible array of choices, my friend, JD. No, listen, 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 listen. I I wouldn't be mad if Patty Mahomes won again. I don't want nobody else to win. I wouldn't be. I'd be fine if the Bills won, but I don't necessarily care for them to win. I like Patrick Mahomes though, but. I want Green Bay to win for this reason and this reason only. I would love for them to get to the Super Bowl and lose. Division, listen, we in the same division. I st- I don't want them to ever win, but if it's going to mean that the loss is greater, get, take the win when you can. Take the win. But losing the Super Bowl, oh, to to know that they had their hopes up so high. One thing about being a Bears fan, we ain't got a dream that far. I never do. But I want them to think they they so close to grabbing it. And then Patty beat them about 42 to 0. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm telling you. I would be on the battleground welcoming every every Green Bay fan I could find. Hogshead is in for the ride of his life. Um, Dylan, do you want to throw out a quick championship uh, Super Bowl matchup prediction? Man, like I don't want Brady to go again, but just something in my heart tells me Green Bay is in a choke. I mean, look what happened last year, man. They got fucked. I mean, San Francisco killed them. And part of me thinks the same thing's going to happen again. So, for safety reasons, I think I'm going to go the Buccaneers on that side. The other side obviously depends on Mahomes' health. But, man, part of me's leaning towards Buffalo. I just like the way they've played all year. Josh Allen has really reined himself in, and he, him and Steph Diggs are awesome together. And they don't have much of a running game. I mean, Josh Allen's their best running back, but I I really like I like what the Bills have done and and their Super Bowl history is not great. They've had some some major uh, major tough losses in the past, so part of me is kind of pulling for them. Uh, hopefully, they can win it all for that. But as long as Brady doesn't win, I'm fine with whatever happens. <laughs> so I'll I'll just throw out there. I'm going to go Kansas City, Green Bay, because that's the matchup I want to see. But I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't it would know. be fun. That would be real fun. Like, I want to see Rodgers versus Mahomes, because who knows how much longer Rodgers has left. And, again, I'm kind of with J.D. here. I want J.D. to win by the Packers losing. That's what I want. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the love and support. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's – that's all I. That's all I'll do for you, though, JD. I'm not gonna support you any any other way. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. It's fine. That that is. If I could ask you for anything for Christmas, if you can deliver that, just let me know you support that. 
I mean, I'm not Dylan Hughes. I can't manifest, you know, trades going away from by going away from my phone and then them just happening. I'm not Dylan Hughes. So, you know, um, and then real quick, last episode, last podcast, I think I have to promote because I think I did the other ones was Circle City Cinema. And I'll be back on again to do WandaVision, the MCU show. So Caleb Lynn will be joining us at some point on that. And that'll be fun. So um, Dylan, JD, thank you both. This was an awesome episode. Thanks for having me, fellas. Really appreciate it. Great guys. So tacking this on again because I keep forgetting and we keep having wonderful, wonderful outros and I just keep ruining them. Um, Our teams for next week. So we're doing the Milwaukee Bucks, the Utah Jazz and the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, sex land, as they say, as the cool kids say. Dylan Hughes, um, (laughs) this was a great episode. Thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. Thank you.